0: Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 27th episode, I'll be talking to Luke Hare, co-host of the Multiversal Q and Exiled podcasts, about third-party superhero media, or how to get into comics when you can't get a hold of any comics. Along the way, after a substantial detour talking about Marvel's Exiles comic... We discuss being a background kid, how Gambit is lots of people's favorite X-Men when they're 14, and together realize a secret connection that leads back to our very childhoods. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. Never down So for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you, in the words of Chris Haley, a beautiful and unique snowflake?
1: Did he say that about me or did he say that specifically about people?
0: He says that about guests on his podcast. You're the second person to actually say that.
1: (laughs) My name is Luke Hare. I am on the Twitter as Coltregg. That's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. Currently, my main projects are the Exiled podcast, which is a live action role playing game. Well, no, it's live role-playing game it's we're not larping on the podcast that wouldn't make as much of a good entertainment thing but you know it's alternate universe marvel heroes teaming up for month-long adventure arcs and then the Multiverse OQ podcast which is your guide to the comic book multiverse now in podcast form (laughs) that discusses different alternate universe stories mostly in marvel and dc but we're going to be expanding out a bit of that soon And right now we're on a weird sabbatical because we've just sort of gotten burnt out by where we are in our coverage of the series Exiles, which was the inspiration for the Exile podcast because they're, like, tackling big universe after big universe after big universe, and so trying to tackle that stuff in advance for that I sort of burn out some circuits so now we're doing weird alternate universe podcasts like today we recorded a fake oscar podcast <laughs> also posting old weird podcasts that i recorded in the past and then when i'm not doing podcasting and not doing role-playing game stuff i also do comic writing i wrote the first two issues of well i wrote three issues only two of them got approved and then only one of them is actually making it through print through legacy rising publications but I also do a bunch of mini comics and i've got a few projects in the works right now okay cool so I, i write comics and do all sorts of other stuff as needed
0: we actually got to know each other through talking about exiles on twitter when I first came to Australia and was doing my deep dive into things I used to like and now have the time to follow up on, I got very into the then-nascent Exiles series, originally through the recaps on uncannyxmen.net, and then later by walking into my local comic book shops and just reading them off the shelf and never buying them. I have very fond memories of those. Like, I know I went and bought, I think it was the first three volumes, like the big volumes, the thick paperbacks. Yeah. And those, those first few, I had very fond memories. Because for those who haven't read it, it's basically the concept is sliders for the Marvel Universe. So they are dropped into a an alternate universe, and they have to solve a problem, which could be really simple or could be really difficult. You know, hijinks ensue, people, and if someone dies, they're replaced by a new alternate version of themselves. And then the premise kind of fell apart. They're like, oh, they found the people behind their missions, and they were a bunch of literal clock roaches. And so... Then a bad guy took over, and then Chris Claremont started writing it for a bit, and Ugh. yeah, I don't.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, well, and then there was the g- really good Jeff Parker run, which is my favorite run.
0: See, I have to go back and read that because yeah, I, I burnt out round about the time they brought Psylocke onto the team. Like that was that was where I met, where yeah. I dropped off.
1: Yeah, and it's like actual six one six Betsy Braddock, right? Yep. Yeah,
0: because she she had just died and then come back. Well, she she died a while back in Extreme X-Men, which, take a moment to appreciate that. And then she came back and then was immediately put on the Exiles.
1: Yeah, that Claremont run. Like, I was so biased against Claremont for a long time until I started actually reading, like, his early X-Men and was like oh, this is why people love him. It's because he's writing characters and he's telling actual stories and he's not messing with my sweet, sweet babies.
0: <laughs> and it was funny because when I was reading Exiles, I was also re- you know, occasionally reading Extreme X-Men. And I remember finding the, that run just weird and difficult to penetrate. And it was doing a lot of stuff like it would... I remember this very, very specifically. There was one where it had a, a villain named Elias Bogan, who was a mysterious figure, which is equally funny for the fact that in Australia, Bogan means like like a hick mm-hmm. or like trailer trash or something. Like it's a way of saying a low class person. And the idea of that first arc being set in Australia and then one of the villains <laughs> being named Bogan is just like, it's weird. And there would be things like at a party, he would introduce three evil mutants that for the sake of an action scene were there and their powers were only there to be used in a funny way like there was one named Stringfellow, where he would touch them and it would turn the person into like the consistency of Reed Richards but with no control so it would make you drop and suddenly you'd be all squiggly on the floor and the way that character was introduced did that thing and then disappeared and was never seen again I'm like that's that's awful that's dumb why are you doing this and then I went back and actually read you know some early Claremont and I went oh that's the kind of shit they were doing all the time like that's that is, like, Derriger for mid-'80s Marvel.
1: Except that, like, there was time for it to be revered, and a lot of the stuff that they were doing was, like, new tread ground at the time. Yeah, totally. Or it was based off of pop culture, but that was still a new tread ground at the time. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. I also think that, for those of you thinking, oh, hey, I might like Exiles, you might do. Although, it's one of those things that I I can't recommend wholeheartedly, because at any point, you'll have a little bit of trouble with something on the book. Like, even that first run, like, I like it, I like the concept, but I've gone back and that art is not great. And they were clearly working on a very fast deadline, because there's lots of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like, Mimic's wings will be there in one panel, he'll turn to talk to someone and they'll be gone, and he'll turn back and they'll be back.
1: And also, Mimic is in the series in the first place.
0: Oh, don't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Hare, don't make us get into a flight about Mimic. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think of Mimic as uh, honestly was one of my favorite characters when I was reading it issue to issue. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I could probably write a really long think piece about how he's the tragic figure of the first three volumes of Exiles, due to coming from a background of privilege and then putting into this scenario where none of that means anything and watching him change and, and evolve and really kind of fail to evolve on that. I think it's really interesting. But yes, Mimic is also hated by a great deal of the fan base.
1: Well, I really didn't hate him until we started like discussing it on the podcast, just approaching it where you just have to talk about it. And so much of the time he's complaining or he's whining, it's like, no, I would totally be in the same place, but I don't want to see my heroes doing that.
0: It's something that, like, I we talked in the pre-show where I was binging the Attitude Era podcast, which, which covers wrestling from the late 90s into the early 2000s. And what they found was that in watching all the pay-per-views repeatedly over a short period of time you realize w- which characters you loved from when you were a kid because you'd see them occasionally and they would do the cool thing and you'd go that's great and then you realize in watching it repeatedly they're doing the same thing over and over again meanwhile what some characters that you would be like oh they're so annoying when they come when you were a kid and then you look back and go no that that character was doing something special they would burn out on the new age outlaws but end up loving x Pac, which is the reverse of how you would think it would be
1: I only know who that last guy is because he showed up at the King of Trios.
0: <laughs> and and yeah, despite being fairly burnt out, that guy actually has some pretty progressive views now. So go Sean Waltman, go Xbox? pac Yeah, <laughs> he showed
1: up because they were doing the tag team. One team enters, another team goes, and then another team enters. I, I have no idea what the wrestling mm-hmm. term is, but like they ended up... Yeah, wrestling. like a gauntlet match. Yeah, they ended up wrestling the Chikara team that was based on X-Pac and his partner, like a really tall guy. And so it was like, oh, <laughs> these parodies of those characters got to wrestle the people who inspired them.
0: <laughs> That's cool.
1: Yeah, it it was really good.
0: I got to get more into Chikara. A friend has offered to loan me their ChikarTopia membership because and this is something it's not wrong with the product. I think it's me where anytime I try to watch Chikara, I have trouble engaging at more than a casual level. I don't know why. It could be just the nature of it. It lends itself to, oh, hey, I, you know, I'm watching it while I'm cleaning the living room or I've got it on in the background while I'm doing the dishes kind of thing. But I know that's also partially me. I need to give it my full attention because there's lots of good stuff happening in Chikara.
1: Well, with me, I just heard Chris Sims talk about it time after time on War Rocket Ajax. And when they came and did a Columbus show, me and Joe Hunter, who's also previously been on the show, went to it and it was like, well, I've had a uh, Viking man rub my hair and call me... Uh, Handsome, and I've gotten to find out that they have a Voldo-like snake man on their team. So I am pretty down <laughs> for this.
0: Is that Ophidian? Yes. Ophidian, who is teamed up with a breakdancing pharaoh mummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the car is amazing.
1: During the show, they actually knocked off one of the light fixtures, like they were lamps that were hanging down from above, and they had like these large basins that like diffused the light. And while they were having one of their matches, someone jumped high enough in the air that. They knocked that off and it fell down and broke. Yeah, this is real. This is real. I mean, it's like battle ballet. Yeah, totally. Because like growing up as a kid, wrestling was sort of seen as the lower class thing. I wasn't a sports kid at all. It was very much in the Austin 316 era. It's like, right. uh, no, this isn't interesting me, but like, I've learned to uh, love it for how crazy it is. And I think my parents don't necessarily understand it, but they also don't understand uh, comics that much. Because that was another (laughs) thing that I've gotten into as I've grown older. So
0: you live and you learn. Cool. Let's use that as a segue. So whereabouts did you grow
1: up? So I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana, but my parents moved out to Westchester, Ohio, which at the time was this like small suburb area that was still like a lot of farmland. Like it used to be, I could go to the edge of my block, look down the hill, and there was like miles of farmland to see. Now if I would go there, I'd look down the block and I'd see miles of more suburbs out there. I had an older brother who's five years older than me and a sister who was born a few years later who's five years younger than me. And so I was the sort of middle child, the generic background kid growing up. In about 2002, when I would have been, I think, 12 or 13, we moved to Bexley, Ohio, which is a ritzy suburb of columbus ohio it's where the governor of the state lives and it's got a bunch of private schools it has like one of the best rated public schools in the country and it was a very different scenario there because it was like oh all these kids come from money and have like incredibly expensive houses and here i am as my mom is going to seminary and we're living in a apartment which is five minutes from what we affectionately called the Kroghetto, which was literally a Kroger grocery store across from a bridge. Like, crossing that bridge was the point where my parents would not feel safe about me going there by myself unless I knew that, oh, I need to pick up milk or I need to pick up butter. Bexley grew a lot on me. That was the like the one place where I made friends who I'll still like regularly hang out, and that was part of the reason why I've moved back here since. And then my sophomore year of uh high school, I ended up my mom graduated seminary and got a church out in Arcanum, Ohio which is in Dark County, dark being spelled with an E, so it sounds like the most magical place.
0: Yeah, just the most secretly metal place.
1: (laughs) Yes, except that it's more of just casually racist. Ooh. Yeah, like farm country, which was always weird because we lived in like this really nice house that's like over 100 years old, and we'd look out and there was a tennis court that was part of the public park. There was a baseball field, and then there was like corn as far as the eye could see, or soybeans depending on the year.
0: I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to say it. Was the corn in fact as high as an elephant's eye?
1: No, because we're not in Oklahoma where the wind comes sweeping down the plains.
0: I'm so glad you got that joke. I have made that joke before and just gotten a blank stare in return.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I was a theater kid growing up and my dad used to like turn on the uh musicals channel especially when we lived in uh Columbus Ohio yeah so that was an incredibly different place because I didn't go to the local school I technically graduated from it but I went to a, a Votech school where I had studied uh, graphic design that started in like columbus ohio and that was such a kicker for me because the week that my parents had me move out was a week that john stewart and the daily show did a live week from columbus ohio because of the election i think it was
0: it was like i was gonna say it's like what, what a strange decision it's like yeah we're coming to you straight from columbus ohio <laughs>
1: yeah and it was like this this is the week that you choose to move me <laughs> and it's like yeah do know that's when they did that yeah so all of a sudden i went from oh yeah i have this town where all these people are friends and they're cool and they're liberal and they're well educated and they're generally nice people to church politics became a big part of my life oh boy i didn't go to the actual public school because i went to a votex school for graphic design so like for my technical high school graduation i didn't even show up i came in like Two months after school had closed, I was like, oh, I should probably get my high school diploma. I have no idea where that thing is right now.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to need that. So if you could just rustle that up, I'll be on my way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, too bad, buddy.
0: I wanted to ask because you mentioned Joe Hunter before, who, former guest and maker of the awesome album art for this podcast because you and he and I are all minister's kids.
1: That is interesting, yeah. I knew Joe, I did not know about you.
0: Well, my mother became a United Church minister when I was about 10.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She had been going to school for it in Montreal. It was, it's one of those things where the only real way it helps me now is that I do really well on the Bible trivia part of Jeopardy, because it's one of those things where, along with any specialized category on a trivia show, it's like all you have to do is deal with what someone who doesn't know the category thinks is a hard question. Yesterday, we were going through lists of baby names, and I was sitting there going, no, soap opera name, Old Testament name, soap opera name, Old Testament name. We can't do that. That person was blasphemous. (laughs) (laughs) Their only reason to be there is to yell some shit at Jesus. We can't do that.
1: (laughs) The way that we used to describe it was like, my mom swears like a sailor, but she knows her uh, religion good. And we're like evangelical Lutheran church, hyper liberal. They were the people who were first fine with ordaining gay priests and then like having gay priests be able to marry. Cool. Yeah. It also like came late enough in my life that for me, church was more of a social thing and less of a, oh yeah, I should probably memorize the Bible because of reason.
0: <laughs> because I'm sure it'll come in handy someday when yeah. I'm on Jeopardy.
1: Well, for me, for my dad, I have mind control powers. And for my mom, I can summon holy lightning to spite people. So.
0: <laughs> okay, pump the brakes. Why did your dad impart mind control powers? He is a
1: psychologist.
0: Oh, right. Yes. Okay. I thought you were going to say he's a psychic. And I was going to follow that line of questioning. <laughs> no no it's like those fanfics that you see where they'll take existing characters and marry them off and write stories about their kids and the kids always have a weird combination of the parents powers it's like rather than just having a random thing
1: oh you mean like that uh weird secret wars what if it continued on where it's like hawkeye and she-hulk have a kid who's named like mustang and he's (laughs) apparently super strong but he also still uses bows and that was a
0: weird one and that's different from mc2 right
1: Yes. This was, they got stuck on the uh, Secret Wars planet. Yeah, it was just a weird story because the premise was that they never got back to Earth. It was the weirdest shipping chart. (laughs) I don't want to think about that one anymore.
0: (laughs) The only one I can remember is where Wolverine and Elektra had a daughter. She wore the same mask as Wolverine with the points and was called Wild Thing. And I'm like, okay, guys, just, just go back to the well. Just once, please. I'm going to send this back, come up with a better idea.
1: You could name her Complex.
0: (laughs) So considering these changes of location and, you know, going to the graphic design school and stuff like that, what sort of kid were you?
1: I was always like sort of a background kid growing up because it was like my brother was generally the more social of the kids, like... He was not necessarily the social butterfly, but he always had, like, a larger group of friends than I did. And so, like, when all the guys would get together and play, like, basketball or whatever, I'd sort of be off to the side. I was not necessarily an indoor kid, but it was like, I was a lonely kid. That's a good way of putting it. It happens. I mean, life, so it goes. (laughs) Those early years was a lot of, oh, can I go inside and play video games? No, you need to stay outside. Can I go inside now? Just stay outside for an hour. And then after, like, 20 minutes... Minutes of badgering if it had been an hour yet i'd get to go inside and play video games
0: i can recall catching some of that for being inside reading and being told no you have to go outside so i would take my book and go and read outside which apparently was not, not the same as going out and playing outside
1: no they want you to like run around and socialize and stuff it's like i, I didn't choose to live next to these kids I mean, there was definitely <laughs> good times, like uh, water balloon fights and once or twice when I didn't have a traumatic experience in the uh, woods near the house, like there is this, I have no idea how large it was, but there were like these woods near the house and like all the guys would, at least my brother and like the other guy, his age and like I'd tag along and then other younger kids would. It's like, oh yeah, let's see how far we can go. And it's like, oh, well we've come back with poison ivy or we've come back, <laughs> no. or we've come back with uh, ripped
0: pants. I'm just picturing, like, the first half of Stephen King's It without the monster. I have not seen It. Well, basically, it's the same kind of thing where it's the, oh, we're just going to go out and play and wander far too deep into the woods and do things like try and build a dam in a creek and come back, like, sopping wet and soaked in mud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff.
1: And then we find a corpse. And Will Wheaton <laughs> is there. That's It, right? Do you kids want to see a dead body? The guy climbs out of the sewer pipe because he's just escaped from prison where the guy can touch people and uh, bring dead things back to life, right?
0: I'm sure all of that was in the same story. In no way are we saying that Stephen King cannibalizes his same ideas into multiple stories. We would never say such a thing, Mr. King, if you wanted to sponsor this podcast.
1: It's all part of the same universe. Didn't you read the Dark Tower series?
0: Oh, I actually really struggled with that first Dark Tower book. I was just like... I got to the end of it. Like I think I got it... Like Someone gave it to me like an EPUB version when I first got my Kindle. And I read it and I got to the end and I'm like, I didn't understand any of that. Yeah. So I'm not going to continue.
1: I got the first one. I was like, oh, okay, well, I finished it. And then like the second and third book, it gets a lot better. I read those and my dad quickly regretted getting me into Stephen King because I just <laughs> like, was reading as much as I can. He's like, you don't think that's a little dark? And it's like, no. And then I read, like, the seventh Stephen King book while I was doing prop mastering during show week for our high school presentation of Les Mis, the musical group. (laughs) Okay. I was really good at delegating work. It was like I was master of the house. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give you that one, but you're on notice, pal. (laughs) (laughs) With The Dark Tower, it's almost like I prefer reading about people talking about how much they love it, or like why it's good and complicated and stuff, and all the different references throughout the other books, more than I think I would have imagine like re- enjoy reading it myself. You know, I like, I like that higher level view. What's kind of like what it used to be before I actually started watching the show, when people would talk about Doctor Who, about the Russell T. Davies Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and sort of the big complicated overarching plots. I would read like a, a Tumblr summation of that. And then look back and go, wow, that sounds really cool, and watch it and still enjoy it, but maybe not quite as much as just going, oh, wow, this is a really clever thing that someone is doing from an overarching view.
1: Like sort of circling back to Exiles, back in high school, I used to read the Wikipedia summary page. For exiles and that was like how i was reading comics before i was reading comics it was like oh this sounds really interesting i want to read this series and i also have no idea how to do that okay well let's read our other comic series so like i read about why the last man in wikipedia articles before i ever actually read the series
0: i think specifically comics in the wikipedia form i think i've spoken a little bit about this in the show before For some reason, when you're reducing specifically comics, like long story arcs, into a Wikipedia list of just things that happened, I think it's potentially damaging because I don't think I've ever, like on a series where I've stopped reading it, gone to a Wikipedia page, read the next few volumes of what happened, and not went, oh, that's dumb. That makes no sense, and I'm like, of course it makes no sense. You're looking at you know bullet points of plot. You're not seeing any of the build up. You're not seeing any of the the payoff. It's just, hey, this thing happened. This person died. This person got this power. This person moved on. And it's like, huh? You know, at that point, you're not really experiencing the story. But no, like you, I was a an episode recap or an issue recap reader because, like, like I said at the beginning, I couldn't afford the comics. So I would read it that way. And I think exile specifically is something where, especially those early few arcs, it rewards you for your knowledge of the characters. Yeah. Like, it knows that it is preaching to a choir. It's preaching to the converted. If it visits the Dark Phoenix saga where they have to fight the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, your knowledge of that event will influence how much you enjoy that part of the series because it's taking your expectations and subverting them in that way oh yeah but also playing with that subversion
1: that's actually what i did with the uh, second volume of exiled because i was like you know what series never gets enough attention the jack kirby eternal series and so like the second volume of exiled is like adapting really weird origin of the uh, cosmic hulk who the first time i read that series i had no idea that he came like so big after it's just like oh some guys made a hulk robot as their college mascot and cosmic energy brought it to life and the exiles had to stop him but he ended up getting away in the end it's like oh that that's like awesome in and of itself then you find out that it's like oh no galactus made it or something and then like the intelligentsia edited it and then the college students just claimed that they made the robot and it's like no no (laughs) that second volume is literally a world where. The Eternals are the only, like, superheroes, but the Marvel characters, like the Hulk and the Thing, exist as cultural figures, and, like, Jubilee and other members of the team, which I didn't get to ever do, like, a description of that whole pitch. There is that thing, exiled listeners.
0: And, I mean, I love comics. I love them to death, but I can also accept that occasionally comics are dumb. Oh my god. Yeah. I made a college mascot that's an anthropomorphic, perfectly realistic robot because that's a thing that you do.
1: (laughs) You know, we think that the Hulk would be a great mascot for our team and, you know, maybe if he wants to jump in the game and have some good times, no one's going to have a problem with us making a giant murder robot. And I mean, the Hulk existing in the actual Marvel Universe versus existing in like a universe where the Hulk is just a fictional character, the reactions are going to be Different as hell to that because like oh yeah we think the Hulk is awesome did you see him in the Avengers yeah we definitely want to make a Hulk robot versus oh did you see the Hulk literally rip through our downtown and destroy hundreds of buildings and deal millions of dollars of damage let's make a robot of him because we love that guy
0: yeah it's one of those things really although that said North Carolina did name their hockey team the Hurricanes so it's like hey this this thing that you know destroys our towns and causes untold destruction let's name a hockey team after it
1: that i get a bit more though because it's not like an actual person
0: a person of mass destruction
1: yeah or like a intelligent force your town could have a problem with like bears but they they might name it the bears just because they're a strong animal like i had a similar problem with the uh nolan batman movies or specifically in this case the third one Which was filming in Pittsburgh where I was there So that whole like get rid of the bomb sequence Is horribly disorienting to me Because they're literally moving back and forth on the same street And just changing direction without like going anywhere Their football team in the movie is called the Gotham Rogues And for a town like filled with crime That's a horrible thing to call it There's a reason why they call it the Gotham Knights in the comics
0: Yeah you're right It's like naming it the Rogues It's not really You
1: know it's like how there's the New York Mafia that's my favorite football team.
0: <laughs> the Chicago Mobsters. Mhm. I think there was that was a basketball joke. It was the New, the New Jersey Mobsters and, it went, and they were all just these like, you know, angry mafia stereotypes.
1: Yeah, but like that whole thing was it's all the horrible stereotypes of the different cities.
0: Like the like the Milwaukee beers.
1: I think the San Francisco had some sort of homophobic joke in it.
0: Oh yes, although at least it was a multi-layered homophobic joke and that it was it was the San Francisco Ferries, and it was F-E-R-R-I-E-S. And you saw the logo, and it was, you know, a ferry that takes you across a strait or a river or something. And then came the cheerleaders, and it all fell to pieces.
1: Yeah. <sighs>
0: yeah. Uh, the disorientation when watching a, a film when where it's been shot in a city that you are familiar with. I mean i know a lot of new yorkers will get that where you know it's the the big applesauce thing where they smush all parts of new york together so you can you know be coming out of the flatiron building where the daily bugle is and then suddenly you're at penn station which is you know this many blocks up and over but what i get it is when i watch the matrix because a lot of the matrix was shot in sydney especially in the downtown of sydney which i'm very familiar with The, the whole scene where it's the woman in the red dress the agent simulator Morpheus walks past a particular fountain, which is in Martin Place, which is a big sort of pedestrian mall area where there's lots of banks and TV stations and stuff. So lots of people in suits. So the idea of them walking through a whole bunch of people in suits going by, that happens on a daily basis in Martin Place. Mm -hmm. However, it's like Martin Place, if you think of it like a vertical rectangle, they are walking along the short side to when they walk past that fountain. But they walk on for ages. I'm like, That's, it's only like a block wide, guys. Uh, and then at one point, when it cuts back to Neo, Neo has a particular big clock behind him that is like a circle off the side of a building. Hmm. And I'm like, wait, that clock's on George Street. That clock is three blocks down and one block up. So you are like standing in front of the bit that would take you into that part of Martin Place. But the fountains at the top of Martin Place. And <laughs> it starts to fall apart when you look at it a little too, too strongly.
1: In that path lies madness. Yeah, there was a uh, <laughs> time in college where we were watching Land of the Dead, which was later Romero's zombie movie. Oh, that's and... the one with John Leguizamo in it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And there's a scene where they're like looking at where they can shoot the missiles to uh, attack the like rich people city, and it's like, oh, hey, that's where our college is. That's where our dorm is. We're going to be killed by uh, John Leguizamo. <laughs>
0: Whenever they would have something in Lost where they, it would be before they got on the plane because the plane was going from sydney to la when it went down and so first off they would hire people from new zealand to be people from australia which caused all kinds of anger but then also they would show okay sawyer's going to visit his contact in this like the equivalent of a food truck but not on wheels so this like you know takeaway kind of shack place Mm -hmm. but that shack has a view of the opera house and I'm like, okay, so it has a view of the opera house, and if you draw the dotted line, that would be like Elizabeth Bay. So that would be some of the, like, priciest real estate in the city where all the rich people have their giant raked-back houses that all get water views. I'm pretty sure they would not have, like, a shrimp shack takeaway right on the water. And also, it's Australia. They would call it prawns, guys. True story. <laughs> oh. but- But we've gone far afield. So initially when you said you wanted to be on the show, you wanted to talk about how you would take in information about comics properties, but from their adaptations and third party media. So did you want to speak a little bit to that?
1: Yeah, so like in those early days, like, playing video games in the basement sometimes with my brother sometimes not we had like this x-men game for the uh, sega genesis where it was like the options of characters were like cyclops wolverine nightcrawler and gambit and because of that i had a really correct opinion and a really 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 bad opinion on uh x-men characters where i was correct in that nightcrawler is an amazing character i was incorrect in thinking that gambit was also one of the coolest characters and the best characters ever because it's like oh yeah Nightcrawler, he can, like, stand on his hands and then kick people. That's an awesome move. Gambit can make things explode and throw cars, and he has a bow staff. It's like, no, no, Gambit is, Gambit may be able to do that. That does not make him a good person.
0: Or a good character. I, I think all of us had that, like, I had that thanks to the X-Men animated series, mm-hmm. where at the time, Gambit gets to turn up, say funny things in a cool accent, charm the lady, blow things up, and then bail. That does not a good character make. Gambit's everybody's favorite when they're like 14.
1: I found like my personal Lego figure, like it was the guy who I always loved to play with and it's like Yeah, this guy has a a cyber headband on his head just because Gambit did, and he's wearing a brown leather jacket, because that's the closest thing we had at the time to a Gambit jacket. It's like, yeah, this is very much what I used to think was cool.
0: I never owned any of those uh, X-Men Genesis games, but I can remember renting them, and they were punishingly difficult.
1: Yeah, like even playing on the simple version, I, I don't think I ever actually got past the juggernaut in that game. And, like, in the few times that I did, I never got that far. Like, I am horrible at platformers. I mean, it it wasn't the worst that I ever got stuck on a game. That was Link's Awakening, where I had about three or four years from when I initially got that game to when I got past the second level, because it required you to uh, kill three enemies in a certain order. There was no clues that you needed to do that. There was no game facts at the time. Ah, yes three or four years when I would get on I would literally just go in and try and bomb every wall dig every hole that I can so when I finally like found out oh you need to kill them in a certain order almost half of the hearts that I could get because I dug up everywhere I could I'd somehow glitch the game in a few areas to get past some chasms that I wasn't supposed to I was also branded thief because I stole the Bone Arrow set, (laughs) because everyone did. But I, like, had 999 completion in that game.
0: You wanted that 100.
1: Well, no, I I think you couldn't actually get 1000 completion in it. Like, that was the max, because, like, you'd go to the boss, and that would be the final completion point.
0: As, As you were talking about the Genesis game, I was thinking back. I can remember learning the plot of the death of Superman and the reign of the Supermen from an egm review of the super nintendo death of superman game wow because video games journalism right they went through and they would write up essentially as like a walkthrough kind of tips guide on the game they would write up this is who superboy is this is how he was created this is who steel is and as you're playing it will tell you oh this is how coast city was destroyed this is how all this stuff happened and for the longest time that was my most comprehensive guide to that series to the point where I went and read it and I'm like, you know, I'm not sure I prefer this to the EGM write-up of the Super Nintendo game.
1: Yeah, whoa! Well, like I remember at the moment that I found out that Superman had died because it was an issue of Boys Life magazine where they interviewed the uh, artist of it and it was like, oh. Okay, I guess Superman's dead, and then I just like turn on the TV, and it's like, oh, Superman the animated series, awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it was a few years after that whole event had happened that they were interviewing, and it was like, oh, okay, no, well, I, I guess he's back, because I had no idea where to get comics at the time, and like I didn't even touch comics and. Well, beyond, like, the newspaper stuff until high school stuff. My dad had a bunch of collections of Dilbert, but also, like, Farside. My brother got Calvin Hobbes, but, like, I never saw comic book comic books. My understanding of Fantastic Four came from, I think, having that weird phenomenon where you, as a child, catch the same episode of an animated series, like, three or four times and only that episode. <laughs>
0: Which one was it?
1: I don't fully remember, though I have had similar situations with sex in the city.
0: <laughs> that's a big jump.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the edited version.
0: Uh-huh. Where
1: they cut out all of the sex that's apparently and I've not seen... The non...
0: (laughs) The show also known as The City.
1: Well, I have not seen the... uh, (laughs) Because
0: they cut out all the sex. I'm sorry, that was really dumb.
1: (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Yeah. It's always the one where one of them gets really offended because the Chinese restaurant knows what they're going to order. All right. Then there's the other one where there's a gang of cross-dressers who loudly yell outside their apartment. Okay. (laughs) And they get angry about that. My knowledge of Fantastic Four and Hulk mostly came from a coloring-slash-activity book that I had. and like, the Fantastic Four story, do you want to guess what uh, villain showed up in that?
0: I'm gonna say Galactus.
1: No, it was a witch. What? (laughs) It was a witch who was jealous of Sue Storm, so she turned Johnny Storm into a lightning bug, Reed Richards into a frog, and Ben Grimm into a turtle. What? Yeah.
2: That's insane. How do
1: you? What? Second half of the book focused on the Hulk, and do you want to guess who the Hulk's villain
0: was? I, I would, would have said Abomination or Thunderbolt Ross or somebody, but now you've completely skewed my expectations. So I'm going to say a wizard. No, it was a uh, maestro. But
1: what? What? <laughs> yeah, it was maestro or someone like the maestro who was like, "Oh, you think you're strong, Hulk? I'm stronger. I'm going to put you in these bonds." Oh. No, I guess you were stronger than I thought. You have escaped, Hulk. You have defeated me. The end. And he had a spaceship. It may have not been the maestro, but it was maestro-esque. And so now my, like, uh, memory retcons are like, oh yeah, no, that guy was probably the uh, maestro.
0: (laughs) What a strange choice. It's just like, here's this... Either This is a completely made-up thing. And the only thing I can compare it to is when I was a kid, I was a huge Transformers fan. And as such, you know, relatives knew, oh, if it's something has Transformers on it, Lucas will probably like it. So I would get stuff like these weird, like, storybooks that would have a cassette tape that went along with it. And you'd play the cassette tape, and it would narrate what was happening in the storybook. And there was one where all the voices weren't wrong. They weren't the voices from the cartoon. And clearly this person had never seen the cartoon. And so it was like, oh, the story's about this giant bulldozer thing that could, like, rip through the ice shelf, and inexplicably the Autobot base was under the ice in the Arctic. No one was in character, and it was just like, like, why this choice? Like, you have a conflict already set up. You have Decepticons, and you have Autobots, and they fight. But it was always like, oh, here is this machine that is actually the the antagonist, this non-sentient machine that is a bulldozer with teeth. That's what we want to know. But like taking something like the Maestro, for the Incredible Hulk, which is a villain with an extreme backstory, a ton of information is required to even understand what the Maestro is, let alone what he'll do or or what he wants. The idea of taking going, you know that's what we want in our out of continuity situation
1: that's how we get the kids into this (laughs) yeah there is johnny storm being turned into a firefly i am going to send you a link go for it to an ebay page (laughs) how much do i want to relive my childhood yeah that was the other thing so i had uh like bathtub toys like i think every kid has it was some weird melange of like whatever came from movies but then I also had my personal weird superhero toys that I found. And, like, one of them was a DC character who I figured was probably the strongest and, like, best guy. He had shown up in a few cartoons that I didn't fully remember. And so he was one of my favorites. I found out later on it came as part of, like, this drink set. Like, they used to be these cup toppers or whatever that you put on your cups. And so before I ever saw him in a cartoon... I. I knew about the design of Darkseid.
0: <gasps> I, I I thought you were going to this, and I'm so happy you did because I think I had the same toy. Because it was I, I looked it up a couple of years ago. It was the, well, the one I had anyway. Was shortly before Secret Wars. It was actually the impetus for Secret Wars. Jack Kirby did a, a thing of DC superheroes, and that was sort of the tagline. And he made actual money off of this because they licensed the Fourth World characters. And I think it was Burger King, had these things that were like you'd have Superman or Aquaman or whatever, and most of them would have their arms forward, and the arms would hook into pegs on the bottom of the cup. And so you would use them as the handle to pick up the cup and drink. Except for Darkseid didn't cut into that shit, so Darkseid had his arms crossed. Again, I didn't know who he was, he was just this weird rock man that would, you know, hold a cup that wasn't there. And yeah, I also used him as a bathtub toy. Hang on, I'm gonna see if I can find a picture Dark side. Oh, yeah, I just sent you one. Oh, you did. Yes, that was exactly it! Yeah. It oh, was, like, blast I, from the past.
1: I remember his arms being slightly different, but it was like as time went by, he had like more and more paint chipped off of him just because he was used as a bathtub toy. And yeah, it was like, oh, I knew about him. And then, like, when he first showed up in Superman the Animated Series, it's like, what? Wait, this guy brainwashed Superman? He's not a good guy.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. Also, I did look at the Fantastic Four coloring book, and it's not just a firefly, but a giant firefly. Oh, yeah. And the ending, when they're all put back into their normal forms, is them all shouting in unison, wow, what a trip. (laughs) I don't even know. But yes, I, I now feel closer to you, Luke, Knowing that we had the same bathtub toy growing up and neither of us had any context for Jack Kirby's Fourth World.
1: Yeah. I feel lucky that we learned about the uh, series through like Batman the Animated series and Superman the Animated series because there are much worse things. Since then, since I actually got into comics during high school, I ended up working at a comic shop for a while. Being a comic shop with a television in it, we needed to find ways to pass the time. And for me, it was the 90s Iron Man series. Oh boy. Not only did they try and avoid the uh, yellow peril aspect of the Mandarin by turning his skin green. Oh boy. It had MODOK, whose size was very inconsistent. <laughs> uh, it had questionable uses of 3D computer images. Yeah, it was not a good show.
0: Yeah, and if I remember correctly, the 3D was that exo-squad kind of 3D, where you would have a static 2d animation layered over a, a three-dimensional or rather a, a 3d rendered moving background and it was touted as 3d when in fact it was nothing of the sort
1: no no this was they had had like a computer generated oh we're going to have a guy putting on the iron man suit and we'll just use that clip once per episode at least oh one of those animation yeah
0: which really was cribbing from stuff like sailor moon and and voltron and power rangers so yeah as a cost saving measure you know good to them for looking outside the box
1: Mm -hmm. the japanimation is hitting it big with the kids how are we going to respond (laughs)
0: let's cgi iron man putting on his suit
1: yeah i i wish i could find that hulk coloring book now
0: with the maestro Yeah. What they've done at the moment is they've done what I used to do by accident. They're now doing on purpose is that they're re-releasing the black and white essential edition stuff, which is sort of black and white reprints of classic comics, but they're doing it specifically as a coloring book. And I just know it because I used to get the Savage Sword of Conan reprints. Like there was one specifically where Conan fought a whale and it was like super bloody and epic. And my dad bought it from a gas station and gave it to me. And I used my crayons and colored the whale purple and, like, made his sword super bloody and stuff, not realizing that I wasn't supposed to be doing that, that it was just the way it was done. Now Marvel are releasing them as, oh, Marvel coloring books, coloring the Avengers.
1: I guess it makes sense. You make more money that way, releasing stuff that you wouldn't use otherwise. and It's got to be long-run more profitable than putting the uh, books up onto Unlimited.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, it, it's, it also fits in with the, with the adult coloring trend. You're taking something you already have you're releasing it in a way that will garner new interest, and in comes all of the money.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a uh, weird world that we uh, live in. I, I found a coloring book that it might have been, and it's weirdly The Wisdom of the Watcher. <laughs> what? The cover is the uh, Hulk punching out this lizard man who looks like a orange version of The Abomination. Shit. Oh, okay, I found it. I found it. The actual book. Oh, good. So it doesn't look like it's the maestro, it's just like a version of the Hulk in Conan gear?
0: <laughs> okay. This is predating World War Hulk. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. But Yeah, it's it's something, that, and it's an example I've used before, and I may trademark to use again in a different conversation, but the only comparison I can do now to the idea of this scattershot bits of information about topics that are sort of a, a continuum, like Comics have been this like, and I apologize, this is an extended metaphor. Think of it like it's the highway and you're just occasionally skipping onto it every now and again, or the analogy that I'm going to trademark. It's like someone picked you up and just like bum rushed you through a department store and you were flailing your arms trying to stop. And every once in a while your hand would touch something and come away with something. And then you were out the other side and you had like five random things from a department store. It's like that was getting into comics media when you had no comics. It's like I can think of like being a kid and having three random Thor issues and an issue of Superwoman and one Detective Comics Batman issue all at random times and that one Conan issue and, you know, a dark side toy, the Spider-Man cartoon, and knowing that superheroes were a thing without actually actively seeking out comics.
1: And I think it's going to be a lot easier for kids nowadays just because a lot of the adaptations are things that uh, the companies care about.
0: Oh yeah, it's not it's not this second level thing that they're like, "Oh, whatever, just throw this together to get it out there." Instead, yeah, you you've got actively engaged kids who will see the movies and want more.
1: Well, and then unfortunately, if they want to get like adaptations based on their comics now, like the only thing that Marvel does is the really bad screen cap comics. Where they're taking oh, yeah. shots from their books instead of spending money to uh, tell new stories.
0: Although on the plus side, I mean, hey, we're living in the year of our Lord 2017, and there's a Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon.
1: Yeah, but like the animated series adaptation book is literally adapting episodes from that show. Using yeah, it's taking shots frames from that episode. Yeah, not the best thing. It is what it is.
0: It is, and I also think, I mean for all that we can lament it it's also getting kids into comics which i think is something that is required because you know you get kids like us who even through that scattershot drip fed bit of information are so into it now and the idea of kids growing up now can now be open about it and it's okay to like of the avengers and stuff and that's why i think you know you're going to see more of it and i think eventually for all that we can Roller eyes at the screen cap comics. It's a good thing. And I think it's gonna to lead to more interesting stuff coming down the pipe.
1: I'd agree with that.
0: So if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go about doing so?
1: So I have a quote unquote portfolio site at Lukehair.com, L-U-K-E-H-E-R-R, that you can visit, especially if you want to give me money to do things, but I have not updated that in a while. It's got a few comics on it. I need to finish updating the uh, third one. I am also on the social media at Coltreg, That's K-L-L-T-R-E-G. I am also there on most other social medias, so Twitter, Tumblr, and then you can find the various things that I do at multiversalq.com. That's all one word, multiversal with the Q at the end, and at exiledpodcast.com those are the main places if you want to roll the dice and see if the website is going to be up i also have the old website nerdscenaries.com that's like mercenaries except with nerd <laughs> i'll be posting a weird version of the old journal soap opera superhero in space comet podcast that i used to do called radio hope and the reader that will be going up on uh, the multiverse of q feed and exiled updates every Saturday Multiversal Q updates every Sunday and then I have a patreon under my personal name Luke Hare because I'm doing all that editing I'm paying all those bills so please 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 chip in
0: a dollar I definitely recommend people if you're interested in comics and like stuff like the adventure Zone and which I'm sure we'll be putting some of our conversation in the back matter of this episode but if you like that and you want to have a good time with some Marvel characters, I'd recommend going and checking out exiled i actually got to be on their christmas episode and it was a blast
1: it was and if you do like weird alternate universe stuff you can hear two white guys talking about alternate universes as is tradition in podcast medium on multiversal cube
0: I, I have heard from some friends that a, a the plural of two white guys is a podcast <laughs> yes all right luke well thanks so much for coming on the show this has been great Very much to Luke Hare for his time. For signature cocktail, Luke gave me all kinds of suggestions involving cream soda, Dr. Pepper, coconut rum, and butterscotch schnapps, but the main gist is that he wanted something sweet. Putting on my thinking cap, I came up with this combination beverage. It's one part of the Hawaiian shirt-wearing Don the Beachcomber Trader Woody, and another part of the pink t-shirt under gray suit, 80s-ass Miami Vice-watchin' Alabama Slammer. And because I couldn't help myself, it's called the Mimic. In a shaker full of ice, combine one ounce of dark rum, three quarters of an ounce of amaretto, three quarters of an ounce of slow gin, three ounces of orange juice, and half an ounce of lime juice. Shake vigorously and strain into a glass. Garnish with a slice of lime. has the power to mimic the flavors and strength of at least five surrounding spirits. Just watch out for repetition. Enjoy!
2: Jump to the beat of the party
0: The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday, and if you'd like to be a guest on The Math of You, just send an email to themathofyou@gmail.com at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Math of You, and you can follow my Wacky Adventures at Lokiified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokiified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokiified and pledge as little as a dollar a month, or really as much as you want. You can go a million bucks. I would not judge you if you did. In return, you get early access to episodes, physical mail, and I would really, really appreciate it. If you want to support the show non-monetarily, you can go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating, or you can do what Levi Tompkins did and leave a really nice review that I'm good to read. A promise is a promise. He's titled it, A Perfect Cocktail of Guest and Host. Five stars. The Math of You is one of my favorite podcasts going on today. Everyone has a story about how you came to be who you are today, and more and more these stories are framed by the media we consumed when we were young. The Math of You takes wonderful personalities from the podcasting community and other sources and gives you a window into their interest through interviews about the sorts of things they watched and read as they grew up. Lucas Brown chooses incredibly interesting guests, Oftentimes people who I had already thought, I wonder how this person got into this, about. Every episode of the podcast has been relatable, and nearly everyone has brought me back to my own youth with a sense of warm nostalgia. Also, while the guests may be the initial draw to the show, Lucas himself is well worth tuning in for. Always a welcoming host, Lucas comes across as incredibly warm and affable. Oftentimes the guest will be someone he has just met, but you'll quickly forget that and think you're listening to 2 longtime friends talking. Overall, The Math of You is a fun, interesting, and somehow soothing podcast that helps me get through many a stressful night. Its alchemy of guest and host create a cocktail every bit as rewarding as the ones Brown creates for his subjects at the end of each episode. That's really nice, Levi. Thanks so much. Not all of you need to be as effusive as Eli, but hey, if you want to be, go for your life. If you like the music that I play on the show, we've got a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash the math of you with capitals at the beginning of each word and visit our Spotify playlist. I update it every week with the music used on the show, including this song. It's the Rat by The Walkmen. Next week, I'll be talking to Julia Feng of Kulumwa Chic, artist, writer and host for Geek Bomb about anime and cosplay. Join me, won't you? Speaking of, like you mentioned, the McElroy's before and, and the Exile, I've finally taken the step. I am now in the Adventure Zone.
1: Nice. Yeah, it took me a while to get past the first episode, but like after that it really picks up my favorite part is probably the uh, Pedals for the Metal arc.
0: Ooh, I don't think I'm there yet.
1: No, no, it, it's pretty far in, but like I got done, so this week when they posted their new episode it was the first one that I listened to show it came
0: out that's such a good feeling though i mean i did that with i did it with jm miles i did it with the attitude era podcast which is a wrestling podcast where it's like i literally went back to because i had kevin mann on the show who's one of the hosts of that and i listened to his podcast how to wrestling but i had never listened to his other one uh-huh. and i kind of felt bad about that like you know i put this person on and he's spruiking these two projects of his and i'm like i haven't ever listened to that second one so I went back and I listened to the most recent ones and really liked them and I'm like you know what I'm going to set myself a task I'm going to go back and listen to like you know three years worth of podcasts in a month (laughs) and they were very good at responding to my various hi I'm down to single digits now I've started stealing your phrases without realizing it
1: nice
0: you incorporate stuff specifically with theirs two of them are English and and Kevin's Irish and they'll use expressions I've never heard like refer to someone as getting a clattering like clattering as a noun as something you receive and all the various impressions they do is just like have leaked into my head so when someone's being shitty I always think of Kevin's Triple H impression so you basically just talk like this hey man I reckon I should win this time and so that's like when I see someone being a jerk on the internet they instantly have that voice in my head nice yeah but no, with the the are I tried to do the thing that I will do with most real play podcasts where I go to the beginning of the most recent arc and try and listen there. Oh, no. And that was not a good idea.
1: No, no. Like, there was a point where like, I normally listen on my computer or my iPod, but, like, I have an Apple TV, so I was trying to stream through, and it wouldn't download the right episode. So I, like, skipped five episodes ahead, and it's like,
2: wait, What? 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 <laughs> What is happening? This is weird.
1: Yeah, it, it moves much faster than, uh, sort of faster than Exile does, but they're very different formats of podcasts.
0: Mm. And I was saying this to one of my friends that, like, at first, when I was first listening to The Adventure Zone, I got a little bit annoyed at some of the goofs. Like, some, like not the actual goofs in the, the show or in character, just between the players. I, I, like, it took me a while to realize why it was bothering me at first. It was it was the equivalent of people talking during a movie, oh. and like I want to see my movie characters do funny things, and or use a, or respond to a situation in a funny way. But if they're not paying attention, it's like no guys, guys, the DM is telling you stuff. This is important. Mm-hmm. I've now relaxed that stance a little bit, but that was my first impression.
1: (laughs) Well, like, uh, one of the things they mention in later episodes is that, like, the people in the, uh, like, Reddits and all the uh, discussion boards will tell them stuff that they should have done. It's like, oh, yeah, (sighs) maybe we should... Uh, How far are you in the podcast?
0: I am on... I think I'm just, I just finished up the Moonlighting arc, so pretty early.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, they have stuff about, like, oh, you guys should, like, see what happens when they uh, destroy the artifacts. And it's like, oh, yeah, we forgot to do that again, didn't we?
0: <laughs> I always think it's its a good so- a sign that I'm into something is when I just start, like, DMing my friends random quotes from it. Or if it's a comic, like, panels from it. It's like, that that's the sign that I'm in. And for this it was my friend Alex who had been saying, Oh you gotta get into it, you gotta get into it, you'll love it And I just started texting him stuff like, We're dangerous, but we mean you no harm. Really? How dangerous? Go ask that goblin, we cut in half how dangerous. I was building rapport It's just like that's like the second episode. But yes, I do I did really appreciate that they, they released the streamlined version, the one point five. So I think I avoided a lot of the stuff that put you off in that first episode.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't realize I had the uh, streamlined version until after, but I also, like, got into a lot more McElroy entertainment at that point, because it was like, I tried the first episode, and was, like, eh, uh, not necessarily feeling this, and then it was Griffin's Amiibo Corner, and I got through, like, all of that in the single afternoon, which was great, because I had, like, that post-election depression slash actual seasonal depression hitting me, okay. which is a really shitty thing when you're, like, visiting your parents who live across the country for your birthday. Oh boy yeah yeah so like listening to that got me in a good mood it got me laughing again and then it was monster factory and then i started in on the adventure zone and then it's been like carboys touching the skyrim and a lot of other good stuff yeah
0: i actually sound a little bit gravelly this morning because i went to a friend's housewarming and and that was really fun uh, although It was one of those parties where it's like, you know how there are some people in the world when whenever they go to a party, they gravitate, they end up in the kitchen? Yes. Like, I'm one of those people. (laughs) And except for the entire party was happening in the kitchen because of the way the house was laid out. So it was one of those situations where you're like, okay, if we're all the sort of people that would normally go to a kitchen in a party, where do the where do we go when there's a kitchen and the answer is you go to the furthest corner of the kitchen and sort of huddle around the oven and every and every once in a while you'll lean back and accidentally press one of the knobs on the oven in panic that you turn the oven on and i'm like okay well i'll just drink you know i'll just free pour bad idea Hmm. (laughs) don't don't free pour gin and tonics into like red solo cups trying to work out. And eh, that's about right, I think, yeah. Well,
1: like with the uh, Red Solo Cup, part of like the thing that makes the actual Red Solo Cups different than like a lot of the knockoffs is that they actually have the suggested like, pouring amounts that you can note through the uh, different lines of the cup.
0: I did not... Oh my god. Is that what that... I just figured it was just because, you know, part of the design so they could like grab onto the cup below them when they're stacked. I didn't realize that's actually meant to be measurements.
1: Yeah, no, the uh, like bottom line there is... Like, where you're supposed to pour alcohol up if you're going to be filling the rest of the cup up. So, like, that divot down there, like, that smaller section before it expands out fully, you fill that up with alcohol, and you're going to be, like, good for that drink.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. See, I'm, I'm honestly impressed because I just learned something. But no, I was like that with with smoking, where both my parents were very heavy smokers. And so there was literally no mystique left in smoking. By the time I got to the point where some of my friends were smoking, they're like, oh, you should try it. Smoking is cool. And I'm like, I'm almost positive it's not.
1: In elementary school, like, there was this annual, like, festival that they do. So there's, like, games and tickets and prizes and all that stuff. And we were driving and my mom saw, like, some teenager smoking. And she was like, if you ever smoke, I will get a leather outfit. In a whip, and I will come to your school, and I will smack the uh, cigarette out of your mouth. It's like I, I love my mom. I love my mom. She does not remember saying that. It's like one of those things. That's like, yeah, no, I I don't want to picture that at all.
0: The, the specificity of that is just kind of amazing. Yeah. It's like, not just that I will come and beat the shit out of you, but I will I will do so in a leather outfit. Yes, like. It's a, like
1: yeah, like. Yeah. And the leather outfit has a wide range of, like, what it could be, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, for the sake of both of our sanity, I'm going to assume it was, like, a buckskin outfit, like one of those Daniel Boone kind of numbers with the fringe on it. No, I... And, and go with that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. My,
1: the thing that horrified me was it was always, like, dominatrix outfit, but I was, like, three years old, so, like, it would pop up in, like, cartoons and stuff without like any summation of what it was. It was just like, No, I don't want to see my mom in anything close to that.